Wonderful. Okay, so we're reading from Mark chapter 6 this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, then maybe turn to that. If you haven't got a Bible with you, then Mark is going to be the Bible monitor. Uh, and uh, if you just stick up your hand, then he'll deliver a Bible to you. And um, if you haven't got a Bible at home, then please just take one of these Bibles home and have it as our gift to you. We'd love that. Every year we give away hundreds of Bibles to people who don't have one. It's just brilliant. Okay. So, um, so this is it, everyone. This, if you're a regular member of this church, you'll know that this is our gift day. Uh, we've been leading up to it for a few weeks now, uh, and um, uh, this is the moment where we pay for what we believe God is asking us to do. You know, we believe God is asking us to begin to see this whole region as our parish, and all of the people who are in this parish as people uh, with whom our destiny is linked in some kind of a way. Uh, and we believe that God is asking us to spread out as we grow geographically, uh, to take out, to take influence over a bigger area, uh, and. Um, to begin to meet and do mission in lots of different places all over this region. We're very excited about it, uh, and uh, if you're visiting today, then you're probably thinking, this is a slightly odd service, and that's fine, you're welcome, uh, we'd love you to come again, uh, and uh, you know, we, we won't be taking up a big offering next week, uh, or at least we're not intending to, uh, and this is just a, you know, an exceptional thing. In fact, I've been part of this church for eight years, and we've never done this in that time. So it is an exciting time. Um, Today we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of Jesus' favorite or or, uh, most well-known miracles. It's the only miracle that appears in all four of the Gospels. uh, And we're going to look at it in Mark chapter 6, but also we'll turn occasionally to John chapter 6, where it is as well. Uh, And so if you're a real keynote, you could keep a finger in each bit. Um, The reason why we're looking at this passage today is because if ever there was a miracle that we needed to see happen in our midst it's this you know we give our five loaves and two fishes and God turns it into much more than five loaves and two fish Uh, we've already got a whole load of uh, five loaves and two fish uh, that people have given uh, from down the road which is brilliant uh, and uh, hopefully we're going to add to that a little bit today but what we're praying isn't it is that God would increase uh, what we bring so let's read Mark chapter 6 from verse 30 Oh, look, it's coming up. It's on there, in great big letters. Okay, good. Do you want to do my talk for me or no? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going and they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So it wasn't actually a solitary place after all. I just added that bit. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. 
Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of fifties and hundreds or hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. And obviously that the Greek word there is male, men. So uh, it's more likely that there were maybe 10 to 15,000 people there. Okay, good. So by way of introduction, let me say this. Uh, when I was reading a whole bunch of the commentaries and books about this passage, some of them say, well, what was really going on here was a miracle of sharing. You know, there was one little boy there. He came along with his five loaves and two fish. And everyone else was sort of inspired by his example. Oh, isn't that brilliant, that little lad just giving so generously and sacrificially. Let's all see what we've got in our bags. Uh, And then, you know, Betty comes along with her world-famous green bean salad. uh, And, um, you know, Barbara comes along with the trifle with a little bit too much sherry in it. And somebody else, Barry, comes along with some chicken drumsticks. And miraculously, you know, the miracle's done in the heart and everyone else is so encouraged courage they all give uh, and you know lo and behold when it turned out they all had enough food to eat after all Uh, that is absolutely not what's going on in this passage Uh, and um, if 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 God is not the God of multiplication then we're sunk you know in the Christian life if God is not the God who takes the frankly slightly pathetic kind of scrawny things that we give him and multiplies them and makes them bigger and have bigger impact, then we're in trouble in general. But certainly as a church, we're in trouble right now um, because we, we, are, uh, we believe that God's asked us to do this enormous thing, uh, which is to take what we're doing now, to take the life of our church and to spread it out, uh, you know, right the way across this region. Uh, and um, that's going to cost a fortune, really. Uh, And uh, the truth is that that our church is mostly made up of young families and students and people on benefits. So, you know, none of those groups of people are particularly well known for having abundant bank balances. Uh, You know, and we're in a recession, by the way, as well. You know, so so we need God to do something extraordinary amongst us without question financially. But much more than that. We need God to, you know, it's not just about money. We need God to multiply out the whole deal. You know, we need God to take everything that we're offering him, all of us, uh, everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we bring. We we need him to multiply the whole lot uh, so that we can start to see this whole region come to know Jesus. And so that's why we need a multiplication miracle. We, We have to have that. So what we're going to look at today is what are the ingredients of a multiplication miracle? What are the ingredients of a miracle? And the first thing I want to say is, uh, firstly, we need an awareness of need. Uh, In Mark's account of this passage that I just read, or this story, uh, the disciples are very aware of the need. It's like they're coming to Jesus and going, Jesus, don't know if you've noticed, but there's loads of people there, and it's really late in the day, and we're in a really remote place, and we've got really nothing. Uh, uh, This is a bit of an urgent situation. They're very aware of the need. Uh, And also, in John's 
gospel, his account, is kind of different actually because it uh, emphasizes Jesus' role in the whole thing. And so it's very clear to say that Jesus saw this huge need. Jesus was aware of this need. So the disciples see the need and Jesus sees the need. But the question is, do we see the need? You know, to be honest with you, lots of us, probably all of us, uh, when we think about what's going on in our lives and our families, what we do is we say, well, it's good, you know, we've got enough food on the table for us as a family and our kids are not too badly behaved and, and, you know, to be honest, life is just about okay, you know, all's well with the world if, if my little thing is okay. But the truth is that all is not well with the world. You know, the truth is that when Jesus looks out across this region, what he sees is hundreds of thousands of people who are spiritually starving. And lots and lots of people who are physically starving. And he says, you go and feed them. You give them something to eat. You know, Jesus looks out on suburbia around us and he sees past the SUVs and the manicured lawns and the Laura Ashley curtains, and he sees people who are living lives of quiet desperation, whose marriages are collapsing around their ears, who have no hope for the future of their marriages. We, we, you know, he sees children who are alienated from their parents. He sees parents who feel totally unequipped to parent their children. He sees children who are being uh, trained in how to live a life in prison. He sees people who are trapped in addiction, who are unable to break free of the cycle of addiction and crime and punishment and isolation and addiction and crime and punishment. He sees families who have come to our city looking for a better life, some of them from other countries uh, or other continents, who are um, actually living far from a better life. And uh, we've come across recently at least one family where the the children were horribly malnourished in the kind of way that you would see in a documentary about somewhere in Africa that's happening right on our doorstep. Perhaps most importantly of all, he sees hundreds of thousands of people who don't know his Father in heaven. And he looks out on us as a church, you know, us as a church, meeting just now in Gilkinson Park, meeting here now, meeting later on tonight in Gilk Park again. He looks out on us as a church and he says, there is a massive crushing need. You must go. You give them something to eat. Miracles begin when we become aware of need. The second thing is, miracles happen when we trust in Jesus. And I think it's fair to say that the disciples didn't respond at all well to this situation. Uh, And probably they responded in the kind of way that we respond to stuff, in a quite a self-defeating way. The first thing that they did, it seems to me, is that they procrastinated. Uh, This is a a, a disaster waiting to happen from the moment it begins to happen. You know, it's like there's thousands of people, they're all gathering there. Uh, It's getting later and later in the day. uh, Jesus is teaching and really the disciples are doing nothing about it. And it seems to me that that's a pretty typical thing that we do. You know, we're faced with huge need or a really pressing, urgent thing. And we panic and we push it into the long grass. And we say, oh, I just can't deal with that at the moment. Or it just seems too big. I'll just leave that for another day. 
And some of us here today, I, I, I'm sure, have been pushing stuff into the long grass that, you, that just will never go away. Um, procrastination never solves anything. It only ever makes it worse. And the reason I know that is because I studied at Bible college and every time I was due, supposed to do an essay, I did it on the night before it was due in. Uh, and, um, you know, if you do an essay uh, the way it's supposed to be done, then you get the title maybe eight weeks in advance or something like that, and uh, you go and speak to the lecturer about what the question means, and then you go to the library and you get all the books and you do all the research, and then you colour code it and all of that stuff, and then, you know, you arrange bits on your desk or whatever, and then day by day you just chip away at this essay until maybe a few days before the deadline it's beautifully done and printed out and you can hand it in. That's not the way I ever did it. Uh, it was much more about, oh, yeah, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do that tomorrow. And then when it came to it, it was always, oh, no, I go to the library, the books have been taken out by someone else, you know, and uh, I don't even understand the question. In fact, I've lost the question, you know, and it's just horrendous. Procrastination never solves anything. And Jesus says to the disciples, okay, uh, enough talking about what we might do. You're going to go and feed them. You've got to do this right now. Maybe for some of us here this morning, you're aware that you've been pushing something away for some time. And it's like, okay, when is it actually going to get dealt with? The second thing they do is they avoid responsibility. Uh, so they go, oh, Jesus, there's a terrible problem here. These people are really, really hungry. Uh, what you should do, Jesus, is send them away and tell them to go and buy something for themselves. Verse 36, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. In other words, look, Jesus, this really isn't our problem. You know, these people, they should have thought of it beforehand. And they've come here and they've let themselves down. They've created a problem of their own, you know, they've caused a problem themselves. They need to sort themselves out. It's not our problem, Jesus. Just send them away. And, and Jesus says, no. You give them something to eat. We could say the same about our vision, our, our sense of call to spread out over this region. It's like, but hang on a minute, you're called City Church. You know, why don't you just stick to doing the City Church bit and let somebody else deal with the Shire? And we have a real strong sense of Jesus saying, no. You go and feed them. You give them something to eat. The third self-defeating behavior, if you like, is that they get anxious and they worry about it. You can hear the, the rising levels of anxiety in their voices. Verse 35. Jesus, it's already very late. Or 37. Do you like my acting? Yeah. And the Oscar goes to uh, 37. They've done, uh, so they've done the calculation and they say, uh, but Jesus, that would take more than half a year's wages. It's like, Jesus, this is a really urgent situation. And for many of us, worry and anxiety can be totally paralyzing. It's like, I can't move. I can't do anything. I, 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 I just don't know what to do. It seems too big. I'm just going to worry about it. And worry becomes this huge thing. But actually, what they'd forgotten is who was right there with them. Because the truth is that Jesus was right there. And Jesus has already shown earlier on in his ministry that when there isn't enough of something, he can make more. Right? He'd done that with the wine, a thousand litres of the finest wine made from dishwater. You know, Jesus is the kind of guy who solves problems like this. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, he's, he's the one who, who 
does all these, all these extraordinary kind of miracles. He's stilled the storm. He's raised the dead. Um, and actually, in John's account, John says that the reason why there are 5,000 people there is because Jesus is doing loads of miracles. It says in John 6, verse 2, A great crowd followed him because they saw the signs he'd performed by healing those who were ill. So the miracle maker is right there, and the disciples are going, oh, hang on a minute, 5 divided by 15 to 20,000 equals 0.0001 or whatever it is. They're only seeing human solutions, and they're completely not factoring in Jesus. And the truth is that we do that all the time, don't we? We face huge problems, huge questions we and we don't know how to solve them and so what we immediately do is we get our calculators out as it were and we say right how can we make this work there must be a way there must be a way it's not possible how how can we do it it's like why don't we factor in jesus and see how the maths add up then and and that happens all the time in our Christian lives, doesn't it? Maybe there's somebody here, you're a small group leader, you're just about to become a small group leader and you're thinking, I can't do this. You know, I, I, I've never done that before. I don't know anything about leading a small group. I, 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 but you haven't factored in Jesus. Maybe you've started a new job and it's like, I, 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 when are they going to find out that I have no clue what I'm doing? You know, when are they going to find out that I know nothing about this uh, and that I'm feeling horribly out of my depth? How does the maths change if you factor in Jesus? And maybe for some of us, as we're looking to do this gift today, it's like you look in your bank statement and it says five loaves and two fish. You think, how am I going to, how does this, how do, how do I do this? As William Barclay says, little is always much in the hands of Jesus. We trust in Jesus and he gets added to the maths. Okay, the next one. uh, the, The next one is a gift freely given. In a crowd of 15,000 people, say, someone else must have had something to eat. I mean, they must have done, mustn't they? Is it almost impossible to think that there's only one person in the whole of that crowd who's got a little bit of something to eat? And yet this is the boy who gets to be the hero because he's the one who actually gives his lunch away. Um, actually, the boy is only mentioned in John's Gospel where it says, uh, it's the uh, disciple Andrew says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. It wasn't necessarily the best meal around, It certainly wasn't the most abundant meal uh, around. But he gave it and God multiplied it. And it seems from the text that he did it willingly. There's nothing in the text that says that he begrudged it or that he kind of went, look, come on, this is ridiculous. You know, I mean, if it was me, I'd be saying, but hang on a minute, I got up early this morning and I packed my packed lunch and I, you know, thought this through and I brought my lunch and there are 14,999 people who are irresponsible and who are now bludging off me uh, and most of those are actually adults as well. That's not fair, is it? It also occurs to me that he actually had no idea what Jesus was going to do with his loaves and fish. It's not like he was going, oh, this will be my big moment, I'll give this and you'll, you'll just wait and see what will happen. 
For all he knew, Jesus was going to lay out a nice little tablecloth and dig into it with a knife and fork. He didn't know what it was for, and he didn't know quite what was going to happen, but he willingly gave it, a gift freely given. The next thing is an active participation. The truth is that God so often requires his people to participate in the miracle. You know, it's not that God, God rarely just, you know, intervenes in human history and provides a miracle without inviting his people to participate. So first of all, Jesus tells the disciples, right, if you just get all of those people uh, and just try and arrange them into groups of 50 and 100, and you could just imagine the disciples dying on the inside, you know. Okay, everyone, if you just get into a group of 50 over there, don't worry, dinner's just on its way. Uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be just, just a couple of minutes. That'd be great if you just sit down over there and just go around. It's been so embarrassing. And then... Um, we don't actually know how the multiplication happened. We don't know whether it happened. And some scholars say, you know, when Jesus broke the bread, it kind of expanded and multiplied. And I suppose if it had happened like that, then they would have had to sort of back up trucks. You know, okay, Peter, Andrew, bring your trucks up. Beep, beep, beep. You know, and then just loading all this bread and fish onto these things to take out. Um, I love the scholars who say, actually, the, the miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. And it says in verse 41, he gave it to the disciples to distribute among the people and they got to have a share. They got to play a part in this extraordinary miracle. I, I love the idea, or, and this isn't in the Bible or anything, but I just love the idea of Peter because he's kind of a grumpy guy anyway. I love the idea of him walking away with this half a loaf of pita bread uh, and this couple of you know, little pieces of fish and then going, oh, I hate it when Jesus gets me to do stuff like this, you know. Oh, I just can't, just can't believe this. Oh, I mean, I will do it, but I'm not going to like it, you know. And all that. Just, I, I love the idea of that. And, and, and then him getting to the first person and him saying, oh, my goodness. You know, they look like they could eat me, never mind this little piece of bread. And then just giving a little bit. And then, oh, we look at that. That's amazing. Again and again in the Bible, God calls his people to participate in the miracles that he does. Uh, think of Joshua, for example. Joshua has to lead his people across the, the Jordan River, and it's in full flood, and he has to get the, um, the priests holding the Ark of the Covenant to go and stand in the water before anything happens. You know, the miracle happens as a result of these poor priests having to go and stand in the middle of the river. Or there's Joshua and all the people of God, and they have to march round and round the city of Jericho, uh, and, um, you know, round and round the houses, and we've all been there. And you think, Lord, what is this journey you've get, got me on, walking round and round? I just feel like I'm going round and round in circles. And then suddenly the miracle comes, and the walls come crumbling down. Or the servants who have to go and fill up these big jars of water and uh, they've no idea what Jesus is going to do. But as a result of them bringing the water, Jesus is able to turn it into wine. Or the men who have to push away the stone that is sealing up Lazarus's tomb. Uh, and you can just imagine them, well they did say, but, but it's going to stink. But they had to do that in order that Jesus could call Lazarus out of the tomb. Somehow, as we play our part 
it seems to release God to do the miracle. As we walk in faith and obedience, the stage is set for God to do extraordinary things. And just on that note, if I could just encourage you, I don't know, uh, you know, I'll never know who gives to this thing or how much they give. And none of the leadership team will ever know. Um, But you'll always know. And can I just encourage you, just as your pastor in one sense, well, no, as your pastor, not just in one sense, I actually am. Uh, (laughs) I know that's frightening for all of us, but... um, don't miss out on having the miracle happen in your hands too. Don't, ever, don't get to the point where you look back and you think, if only I'd been involved, uh, but somehow I shied away from it. And maybe you're fairly new into the church. Um, you know, if this is your church now, then it will be your church in a few months' time too. And, you know, so I'd just love you to be involved. Lastly, the thing I most love about this uh, story is that at the end of it all, when, they, when this amazing miracle has happened, there's still loads left. It's more than enough. Um, and uh, what it actually says is that each of the 12 disciples gets a basket back, which is full up with bits of bread and fish. I love that. I love the picture of Jesus going to the disciples, you know, with this, and they've each got this basket of stuff left. They're going, now what did we learn? <laughs> what did we learn about God's provision? Uh, And, you know, I'm absolutely convinced that this journey we're on right now as a church, we'll look back and we'll say, look at what God taught us about how it really is more blessed to give than to receive. And about how God really is the provider. He really does provide for what he asked us to do. And that actually all the things that we've sacrificed in order to be able to give, we didn't really need anyway. We mustn't miss out on whatever it is that God is speaking to each one of us and and the lesson that he's giving to us as a church. I love the idea that Jesus will come to us in a few years' time and say, now what did we learn? Let's pray, shall we?